0: Welcome, everybody, to the Fine Flow Podcast. I'm your host, Sean McDermott, and today we have Nick Hudecker from Cribble. Uh, Nick is a market strategist for Cribble, uh, comes from a background at Gartner and some other really cool stuff. So, Nick, why don't you uh, give a quick intro on yourself?
1: Yeah, so I've been at Cribble uh, since November of 2020. Uh, I was a very early employee at the company. I think I was employee number 49. Um, and we're well over 400 employees today, so it's been a very quick ramp. Um, prior to Cribble, and, and while, I'm, while I'm talking about Cribble, um, I run our evangelism programs, influencer relations, competitive intelligence. Uh, I have my finger in a lot of pies here at the company. Um, prior to Cribble, I spent eight years or so at Gartner covering data and analytics fairly broadly. Um, led a bunch of popular research like hype cycles and magic quadrants and. Uh, while I was covering a number of different open source projects. That's where I met the co-founders of Cribble when they were at Splunk working on a different project. Um, and prior to that, I spent a lot of time running engineering teams and, and product teams at various startups. So long, long history in technology.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So today we're going to be talking about data, right? And you're, you're, uh, you're all things data. So let's kind of get started. So why don't you give us a quick background on what Cribble does?
1: Yeah, so Cribble is in the observability data space. So logs, events, metrics, and traces. And all those things are kind of like the exhaust that happens from a business process. So if you're, say, booking an airline ticket or um, ordering something online, there's the parts of the, of the process that that are related to that business process that create transactional data, right? Like you've you've purchased something. But there's a whole other... Series of, of data types and, and things that are emitted that you, know, you clicked on this link, you clicked on that link, or this system was recently updated, or this application was redeployed. Uh, all of that creates a tremendous amount of data that a lot of people don't think about. in um, In today's space, like that that data tends to end up in logging analytics platforms like like a Splunk or a Chaos Search or an Elastic, um, and we are Our flagship product is called Cribble Stream. And what we do is we give companies much more control. We restore control to them over where that data goes, what kind of shape it's in when it gets there, uh, how it might be enriched or redacted, because we're dealing with huge data volumes and companies have not historically had a lot of control over where that data ends up. So Cribble Stream, sits between the sources and destinations of observability data. It allows you to route data to multiple destinations, uh, remove fields in that data that may not be valuable uh, that you're you're paying for anyway, uh, in traditional pricing models. We let you enrich that data, say, with like, GOIP information or reaching out to a threat intelligence database for safe indicators of compromise. You can also redact PII in flight. Um, and lastly, you can, take that data and route it off to low cost object storage for later replaying it to the same destination, a different destination, either in a new format or the original format. So we really sit between the sources and destinations and restore a lot of control to our customers. And the data volumes are massive. I mean, I thought I knew what big data was when I was an analyst, um, but we regularly have customers that are pushing 500 terabytes a day through Cribble Stream, uh, just tremendous data volumes.
0: So, Does that help? Does uh, that offer some clarity? Yeah, yeah, that's great. So I know with our company, we're doing a lot of work with you guys and we're working, uh, one of the big kind of use cases is that control leading up to Splunk, right? And Splunk is just a massively deployed platform around the world. So what does, how does Cribble differentiate itself because from the Splunk, from a control perspective, because you do have some controls within Splunk, but I, I guess for, it's on the destination side, and the controls, uh, the control data you have in Splunk is prior is after it's actually been loaded in, right, to the platform, and they have this interesting licensing model, which is a consumption based lot. So you're consuming all this data and then doing some control processing once you have it. So what's the, like? Kind of the key differentiators of how you how you fit in with Splunk, and I asked specifically about Splunk because we just have so many customers on Splunk
1: sure sure yeah it is it is everywhere um so to your point right you 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 nailed it right splunk has they have two pricing models today they have ingest based pricing where you pay for every gigabyte you load each day and so if you want to manipulate that data you must do it after the data lands in splunk because they want to charge you, right that's their that is their economic model um i'll talk about SDC pricing in a moment so what we do is We sit in front of Splunk and we receive data from heavy forwarder, universal forwarder, whatever the the software applications that push data that that Splunk has that push data to the Splunk platform. So we sit in front of that and we allow users to reduce the amount of data they might be putting into Splunk. Like if it's null values, duplicate fields, um, if it's something fairly chatty like Windows XML event logs, we can reduce that volume often quite substantially. And so instead of, say, putting 10 terabytes a day into your Splunk environment, you may go down to putting five or even three terabytes a day into your Splunk environment. So what we found is that that creates a lot more value for our users because they can now, they freed up a ton of headspace. And so now they can put new data types in there, whereas before they were fully maxed. And so by removing useless data, duplicate data, things they just don't care about, um, that frees up a lot more space for them to take, you know, maybe for cybersecurity use cases and put a lot more data from those sources into their Splunk environment, their elastic environment. And then the other reality is, is that every company has more than one thing, right? There is no single pane of glass in companies, right? I mean, you get to CIOs, they laugh at you. You know, I have, I have 30 single panes of glass. And so yeah. we also allow companies to route that data to multiple destinations. That's actually our number one use case is people want to be able to take data from say a Splunk heavy forwarder and they want to write it off to a new SIM product that they're testing, uh, or they want to be able to diversify or even consolidate the number of platforms they're using. Say there was a big merger that occurred and instead of 30 platforms, you now have 60 or more. How do you start reducing the amount of data platforms that you have? With us, we're a universal receiver of all this data from different agents. So we can take that data from say, agents you want to deprecate and route it to a fewer number of platforms so by sitting in front of all these platforms and, and, and uh, by sitting between the agents and, the, and the, the destination platforms we give users a lot more control over that data
0: this this brings back a memory for me we actually wrote a product back in um, gosh the early 2000s called trap exploder and what it did is it um, uh, no i'm sorry good name by the way Ours was trap blaster trap blaster, or maybe uh, we, we had a competitor. It was one of us was Trap water. Right. And, um, we, um, we basically ingested SNMP traps. I mean, this is before massive amounts of data that you're talking about, and you could do the same thing. You could enrich the trap, um, you can enrich the, the data, and then you could forward it off to multiple trap locations. Cause that was really hard to do back in the day. Right. Cause you, you hard coded an IP address where the trap destination would go. So you hard coded into our kind of relay. And then from there we could um, we could do all kinds of manipulation to that. And then we could actually send it out to four or five different platforms, which was great for like companies that were doing testing and stuff like that. You're bringing up a new platform. We could take live stream of traps and forward it into the production and the dev environment and do all kinds of stuff. So it just brings back memory. You guys are a million years ahead of like what we we're doing, but it brought back a nice little memory there. But but this
1: um, but this need has existed for a long time, right? Yeah. Like we need to disambiguate like where stuff comes from and where it goes. And while we're doing that, let's add a lot more control to it. Um, and that's the that is our our flagship story with Cribble Stream.
0: Well, it's it's interesting because I mean I've been in this industry for thirty years, right? Uh, in concept, everything we're doing is relatively the same, right? It's just on a much bigger scale, right? And um, were we ingesting data before from infrastructure devices and, and components and things like that, and forwarding them to into some type of event management system or some kind of analytics platform? Yeah, except that we were doing, you know, maybe a couple, you know, hundred megabytes a day, not you know ten terabytes a day. You know, but it's the same concept. Yeah, right? it's just. Uh, as much as we change, things stay the same, right? But now we're operating on scale. Well, the, the, and the, the scale, the scale is,
1: has gone up, right? Yes, yeah, scale has, and has the skyrocketed, part of some has gone and up then
0: too, right? Because there's, I mean, now yeah. it's not hard. I mean, you don't have to be a big company to consume a terabyte a day. You
1: know, no, very easy. And you know, if you think about like you know applications that are being constantly redeployed, you know, with my, microservices uh, architectures and and Kubernetes containers. Like it's, it's much easier to roll out massive applications that are incredibly distributed and decentralized and they've got to communicate in some way. And so they're always passing messages back and forth that creates a lot more exhaust. And then you, you're talking about the cybersecurity side, you know, that's a massive space all on its own. Like security has suddenly, I think there's a lot of cybersecurity pros that are like, this is a data problem now. Whereas before it was an analytics problem, maybe a skills problem, those, those challenges still exist. But now the, the scope of data they're dealing with is just incredible. And so, you know, do they have enough visibility into all the stuff that they have to, to secure? And that's another challenge that, that we see with our customers pretty frequently.
0: So, so jumping off of that, who are your primary customers? Are there any particular segments that you focus in on that are more, you know, concentrations? Are there um, who are you selling to? Like, what's the, the typical customer you're selling to?
1: Well, this, there aren't specific industries or, or verticals that are that are good candidates, right? We 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 see a lot in you know, banking and financial services, manufacturing, uh, technology. Those are those are popular industries for us.
0: So, when you're talking to customers, um, what are the questions that customers should be asking themselves that would lead them to you guys or Cribble? Um, you know what? You know what I'm trying to get to here is like so. Someone's listening to this, going, "You know what? I have those same questions. Maybe I should call Cribble." What are, What are the questions that people should be that are are in their head that would say, "You know what? Maybe this is something we should be looking at."
1: Well, it's an interesting uh, interesting question that you're po- posing to me about that because the, the 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 problem that we're solving has existed for a long time, but people have just kind of accepted the like this part of my day is going to be bad. Right? like I will not be able to take data from X number of agents and send it to all kinds of different locations. Um, so the kinds of questions that people should be asking, well, to go back on that, you know, so a lot of people don't recognize that there is a solution to these challenges that they're having, whether it's you know, Splunk ingest costs, Splunk SBC costs, uh, whether it's being able to kind of unlock data from different data silos. So they should think about, you know, what kind of questions should they be asking around you know, control, right? Do I, do I need better control over this data that I'm, I'm effectively running my business on in a lot of ways, right? It's not the transactional side of the house, but it's all the operational and cybersecurity pieces, right? Do I have enough visibility? Am I locked into a certain platform that only gives me X number of degrees of visibility into my infrastructure, my security domain, et cetera? And then do I want to consolidate, right? I mean, if if the press can be believed, we're going to be heading into a recession. We're currently, what, on July 14th, uh, 2022. So there's a lot of concerns about, you know, how do I manage cost as my purchasing power starts to fall? You know, we can restore a lot of your purchasing power and help you drive more value from your existing investments with a very small upfront investment and help you drive much more value from, from that work, so yeah, does that help? Think, does that start to kind of frame it out?
0: Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, the reason why I asked that question is because we we have a lot of Splunk customers and uh, I'm actually a pretty big fan of the platform but I think that a lot of customers are underutilizing it. And what I mean by that is, is that they're paying a fair amount of money, whatever, whatever their cost is. And we get a lot of pushback from customers on how much Splunk costs, right? And that's kind of a general, General sure. Concern sure. I mean,
1: uh, look, I, I hear two things about Splunk in order. Oh my God, I love it. Oh my God, it's expensive. Correct. And, so, and people build their career around it.
0: Yeah. And what ends up happening is I see a lot of Splunk implementations that are kind of sitting at the lower level ops level, where it's consuming lots of data and it's really more of an ops tool. Uh, operate, you know, the, the SOC is using it, the ops team is using it, but there's a ton of data that's being collected that could be pushed up into executive views. And things like that. And what I tell my customers is, if you're if you're not using the data at multiple levels of your organization, so that you can have an executive view of your infrastructure tied to your to your businesses, business lines of business, to your peer counterparts that are basically calling you up and saying, "Hey, we've got a problem with X, Y, and Z," and you got to go down to the ops team and basically say, "Hey, what's going on?" then you're not utilizing the platform. And that's all kind of free, right? Cause you've already paid this ingestion fee to come in. Um, so I think that, you know, what what I'm not hearing is I'm hearing a lot, I'm, what I'm hearing is from some Splunk customers is like, well, maybe we need to look at an open source solution like Elastic or something like that. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty big jump, right? This pretty big drastic move, right? After you've been using Splunk for like seven years. Um, you're not understanding the complete value of what Splunk can do from you from a data visualization. So now we have the ability to go to them and say, "Look, before you start making a jump, let's let's really bring in something like Cribble that one gives you more control, but also allows you to to reduce that spend to give yourself, as you said, more headroom to drive more data in. It provides more value. And I, I get really you know concerned when a lot of customers that we're talking to they're making decisions on whether to renew Splunk or not based on like operational value at the lower level and log analysis and things like that. And I'm like, you're just kind of missing the boat of what you got. And it comes back to the original question. I mean, the the whole thing that you guys are talking about, and that is it's all about the data, right? So you can collect a terabyte of data, 10 terabytes of data, but if you're not using that data ultimately to make decisions at multiple levels of your organization, you're just not using the data well, right?
1: Yeah. And and people are like, I'm going to buy a new platform, right? It's very common. You know, I, I call it, re- you know, retail therapy. I'm going to go buy something new to avoid having a conversation with other people in my organization, right? And hope that they'll use that new platform for the thing that they should have been using the original platform for. Very common to see companies do that, you know, with databases, with cybersecurity tools, like people are really hard. And people are the hardest thing in IT. The technology is usually fairly straightforward, right? Like it, it does X and we'll deploy it, and and maybe people will use it, maybe they won't. Um, but in addition to you know kind of the, the the business driver conversations you can have around the data in Splunk, you can also think about you know, product level conversations, right? I can I can collect all kinds of data around how people are using my products, what features they are and aren't using, uh, what performs well, what doesn't, and so you in addition to challenges in your infrastructure you can make a better product with the data that you're already storing in splunk and you can visualize that and there's so to your point there's a lot of different conversations you can be having with the data in these various platforms
0: yeah so and implementation of Cribble is relatively straightforward right you're just redirecting feeds coming in from a splunk and you redirect them into Cribble. once the feeds are coming in then you can kind of sit back and start looking at analyzing the feeds where you can start, like you said, reducing null fields, deduplication of data. And then you can start kind right. of going into that next phase of okay, okay, now that we got the data pretty clean, right? And we got it pretty streamlined. Now let's start looking if we can if we can enrich the data through other data sources, bring in other integrations and start pushing that data in for integration. So you have the ability to uh, obviously consume data lots of data feeds coming in. Is Do you have the ability to kind of correlate that data to like a CMDB, which is more of a static type database and, and how does that work?
1: So today we are not a data integration engine, right? We process event by event in a stateless fashion. Um, we have persistent queuing and things like that. If sources or destinations go down, but we are not doing cross stream integration today. In the future, perfectly reasonable to think, all right, well, let's let's get events from a see like, like change data capture events from a configuration management database. And so we can also feed that into downstream platforms. But today, like I said, we're not doing, there are really good products for that kind of analytic work. yeah. Um, and we don't wanna compete with them, right? We have a very good niche where we're at uh, with Kribble Stream. And so in the future, we may introduce that type of capability, but today we're not doing that.
0: Good, good. So what else, does, uh, what else does someone need to know when they're thinking about Cribble? Well, um,
1: flexibility, I think, is, you know, so we do a lot. I mean, in all honesty, um, you know, I've never seen a company, you know, we're, we recently announced our Series B. Uh, I've never seen a company at, at this level of maturity. We're five years old doing everything that we're doing. Um, you know, for instance, you know, we just announced our, our we we'll call it CCOE, our Cribble Certified Observability Engineer Training and Certification. Um, uh, that's freely available. We have two tiers there. One is for user, one is for admin. Um, and that's been incredibly well received in our community, uh, in our community as well, we have over 4,000 people in our Slack community. Uh, and that's, I even hung out there for a few months before I joined the company, just to see how people were interacting with each other, how the Cribble staff were interacting with the community. Um, uh, and that's been an incredible source of, of ideas for the product, feature requests. Uh, as well as frankly, informal customer support, right? Like if, if we don't get to something really quickly, somebody in the community typically addresses that problem. Um, in addition, uh, so Cribble Stream is our flagship product. Uh, and that is something that we feel is incredibly unique and differentiated. No, one's doing it right. No one is in that space. No one is offering observability pipeline like CribbleStream with its usability and feature feature set. Um. In addition to that, we also introduced in March, uh, Cribble Edge, which is our kind of first principles, rethinking of what an agent could be. Right. So for years, and if you're not familiar with agents, they are little pieces of software that live on an endpoint and they basically send data to a destination. Um, And so we were like, well, nobody likes agents. Right. They're very limited functionality. You typically have to deploy 12 or more per endpoint. Well, either they're very Um, limited
0: or you go back to the old Tivoli days where they're so incredibly complicated and they took up so much memory utilization that it was like you couldn't install them anymore, you know?
1: Yeah. And so we were like, let's let's rethink this. And so Edge is kind of our, you know, all encompassing agent. Um, It's smart enough that it doesn't need to be configured. So if somebody moves a log file to a different, you know, prefix or suffix name, uh, or a new directory, Cribble Edge will automatically find that and just start cataloging it. Um, And you can also, you know, we we packed a lot of the capabilities of Cribble Stream into Edge, and so you can start to reduce data right at the source or redact it or mask it, filter things out, Uh, and then you can route that data into Cribble Stream and then on to your destinations. In addition to kind of like the data collection and kind of forwarding capabilities, uh, we also allow you to teleport using Cripple Edge to those any instance that's running the agent. Um, and that allows you to start doing troubleshooting remotely because um, we're not supposed to SSH into machines anymore. Uh, so being able to teleport in those machines and start doing your troubleshooting and debugging, um, running a limited set of commands to figure out what processes are running, we collect all that information for you. And so we've really rethought what an agent can and should do and how it should behave. So that was our, our March product launch. Um, and we've seen a lot of interest in that, you know, as companies are like, you know what? I don't wanna roll out all these new agents. I don't have to maintain all of them. Is there a way to just do this once? And so that's been very appealing for our existing customer base. It's kind of an expansion of the services that we offer. And then in May, we announced our search product um, and that will be GA in uh, later this year, and our search story is, you know, let's, let's kind of rethink what it means to do search in you know, today's model. And you're familiar with this, with your customer base, the story is bring all your data into one centralized location, then search it, find if there's something interesting happening there, but you've got data at the edge and you've got data in, in stream as we're processing it. And then you've got massive amounts of data at rest, whether that's in Splunk, whether that's an S3 and so on. And so our thought was, let's invert that. So instead of forward, then search, let's search then forward. Let's find interesting stuff, whether, you know, regardless of where it is, and then be able to send that onto more targeted analytics platforms. Uh, and so we've been very busy. <laughs> we've been very busy yeah. with launches and, and training programs and uh, and a lot of other events we've been attending all, all year.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. The, the agent story is actually very interesting because it's, I, I mean, I think that a lot of people, have, you know, we've lost a lot of functionality by kind of moving away from agents, but I also understand um, a lot of limitations of agents in the past. And I've seen some really implement, really interesting implementation. I used to work with this French company way back in the day, like ninth, when I started Windward in 97, it was one of my first customers and partners. And they, they wrote this amazing agent that actually ran at the kernel level. Um, and it was incredibly fast and took up little to no memory. Um, but they were, they never really kind of made it into the market, but I thought that it, and the rest of their product was really not all that great. Um, it was super slow and things like that, but the agent technology, I was like, if somebody could grab this agent technology and do something with it, it could have been really good, but I think that company eventually went under, but, um, Good. So it sounds well, like you're seeing you you're seeing doing... some
1: really cool stuff today in the market like you know with EBPS and you know running directly in the kernel. Um yeah. so there's I think that some of these ideas are coming back around again. Yeah. You know, at scale. Uh, I'm curious to see what happens with EVPF long term.
0: Yeah, they all look like new things to some of the younger people and to us it's like, oh, okay. that's the joke,
1: right? Like what you know <laughs> com- computer science research basically is, here's how I figured out what someone learned 20 years ago.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's good. All right, anything else we need to know? I mean, this has been a great conversation, really enlightening for me. Um, and uh, love to you know keep in touch with you guys on what is going on, especially with your launches coming no, out.
1: Happy, happy to always work with you guys. Uh, you've been, been a great partner. Um, you know, I would say, you know, we're hiring like crazy. Uh, so go to cribbleio slash jobs. Uh, you can join our community as well, io slash community. Um, and and it's, it's incredibly vibrant. Um, and then the last piece is, you don't have to talk to anybody if you wanna use the product. Uh, we have a freely available sandbox. Uh, there is no request a demo button on our website. You can just start to use the product. Um, and we also have a free tier at cribble.cloud. You can do your process up to a terabyte of data a day, uh, which is quite a bit, right? To your point that's earlier, that can be, you know, that's a lot, right? That's a lot. Yeah. I mean, to think about giving away a, a terabyte of data a day when, you know, you, before that was a staggering amount of data, uh, you know, not too long ago. Um, and now it's, it's, it's part of our free tier. Uh, so there's lots of different you know ways to access the product and, and get access to us as well.
0: I remember the days when you couldn't even store terabyte data.
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. How much did that cost way back when <laughs> yeah, uh, was- I was in the military a long time ago and we had those 80 meg disc packs. And mm-hmm. if you remember these, you'd have to look, literally screw them into the, the disc drive. Uh, yeah. And that was 80 megs. Uh,
0: I was I was on a podcast as a guest the other day and someone asked me, what was your first computer? And I'm like, it was a 286 that I think had like 512 of RAM and four <laughs> megs of a hard drive, you know, something crazy. And the hard drive was like enormous, you know, and uh, that was state of the art, you know, that was state of the art. Yeah. It was better than the school, better than the computers I was using in my uh, engineering curriculum at the time. So we've absolutely, along, yeah,
1: it's, right? it's, uh, the, the the scale is just staggering today, um, yeah. but you know, so we're 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 seeing a lot of it, uh, we're seeing a lot of that data. But products really available. I, I encourage anybody listening to go kick the tires on it, and if you have any questions, uh, reach out to the community. We're very easy to find.
0: Awesome, Nick. It's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, look forward to uh, catching with catching up with you again in the future and hearing more about some of your releases, and um, we'll right. circle back around soon.
1: Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: All right. Take care, Nick.
1: Thanks, you too.